chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. For many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man had been healed, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us that Jesus Christ is the true Savior of the world. We thank you, God, that he had personally died for each and every one of our sins. The ones we acted, the ones in word, our inner attitudes, our selfish ambitions, Father God, our prejudices, Every single defilement of heart, mind, and word, and action has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future. We thank you that we can stand in your presence and rejoice and not be condemned. We thank you that grace is at work on the inside, changing us more and more, even at times when we can't see it, into the image of Jesus Christ. And that you will be faithful to complete this work all the way up to that day that Jesus Christ returns. Father God, give us insights into what's going on here in this text today. Open up our minds to understand the scriptures, Father God. And God, continue to forge in our hearts a genuine reverence for God. In Jesus' name, amen. I will give you a heads up now that my iPad is on 14%. This is either going to be a very fast sermon, all right? You're going to get the bum's rush. Get you in, and we're going to get you out. But I got my phone ready, all right? So if you see me pick it up, it's not because I'm making a phone call. In eight, uh, April 18, 1522, Martin Luther, at a second hearing before Pope Leo X's prosecutors, Luther was called to explain his teachings. The teachings that dismantled the Pope's infallibility and indulgences for the dead, where people thought they could actually pay for the salvation of souls in purgatory. That somehow the Pope had this magical and mystical power to redeem a soul out of purgatory by a price. 
Now, you might have heard about these teachings, maybe you didn't. But anyway, this was the, 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 this is what, that, this finally got Martin Luther's attention. It was over. He had to stand up against Roman Catholicism of his time and to set the record straight, of which he did. He became an outlaw. They chased him down. They finally got him. They made him stand before, not in Rome, he was in Germany at the time, and make him stand before the prosecutors of the Pope and uh, to give a firm example of why he believed these things. A clear and articulate expression of his teachings, that against indulgences, along with 93 other ones, and the infallibility of the Pope. Now on these key points, however, Luther stood firm. And he says this, My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant of anything. For to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. And he simply closes with a prayer. God help me. Amen. Historians have described it as the trial that led to the birth of the modern world. The attitude Luther had is the attitude Peter and John are displaying right now, as we read in our text. It's the attitude that all Christians should have as we live in a world that best disagrees with the word of God. And at worst, hates the truth of God and those who follow it. At best, they disagree And at worst, they're willing to persecute on even unto death. That's our story today. God is on trial. Not the apostles. God is. God's word. God's work. The healed man is standing right next to them. God's agents are on trial. The apostles. God's ways are on trial. The power comes from the name that's above all name. The name of Jesus Christ. And also God's wisdom. The apostles were uneducated. They were common men. The truth of the matter is they were nobodies. They were nobodies. But a notable, notable miracle had taken place for these nobodies. They got everybody's attention. Even the upper echelons of the high priest family. We're going to see today a clash between a cultural, political correct religion that keeps the status quo and ordinary men filled with the Holy Spirit who live close to Jesus. That's the clash. Cultural, political, status quo, a semi-superficial religiosity that's just a shell of religion, but on the inside, it has nothing to do with God. Pastor John was speaking about this last week with the Sadducees. I'll speak a little bit about it more today. Uh, but then we got these ordinary fishermen filled with the Holy Spirit who live their life close to Jesus. They adopt the life of Jesus even at the expense of giving up their own life. These men are living on the edge. They're living on the edge. Our story here starts with an arrest. Three o'clock in the afternoon, the apostles were going up to the temple to pray. It was an ordinary day to them. They were worshiping the Lord. That's all they were doing. And out of nowhere, a miracle transpires. A a crowd gathers. Preaching commences. Souls are saved and added to the kingdom. People are praising God. 
It all sounds good. It all sounds right. But there's one thing going on. The Sadducees did not like it. Even though there's a notable miracle taking place, even though it's a changed life, it went against their little doctrinal theology that there is no resurrection. They could not see the evidence of something greater than their unbelief. They couldn't see the evidence of something greater than their traditional religion. The Sadducees were the the upper echelons of Judaism. They were the wealthy. They were the educated. They were the politically connected. They held the highest honor with the lineage of high priest. In Judaism, that was the highest honor. And they had power, and they had a lot of power. Uh, though they were the religious people of the day, they were the superficial religious people. We cannot miss that. These people were distinguished by several characteristics. A disbelief in the bodily resurrection. Pastor John was speaking about that last week. A denial of the existence of angels or any kind of spirits, even the Holy Spirit. They had a deep loyalty to the Roman government. They had a desire to maintain the status quo, had an association with the wealthy class, and they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses called the Pentateuch. And these Sadducees were greatly disturbed by Peter and John's preaching because it directly opposed their own teachings. Specifically, that there is no resurrection. And if you continue to preach this way, you're going to shake up the establishment and you're going to have the Romans come down on us because you have to understand something 2,000 years ago. Anywhere in the Mediterranean world, Rome ruled with an iron fist. There was the Pax Romana. Understand something. Within the Mediterranean world, there was peace. Rome did a great job of bringing peace to barbarians. They conquered them first. They allowed them to have their religion. You can do whatever you want. Keep your religion, but you've got to worship Caesar also. They had a great way of keeping peace. And they did. They did a wonderful job. But anything that was out of line, that seemed out of line, they crushed it fiercely. They were barbaric. They come and would slaughter everybody and anybody. That's how they kept peace. They did a good job. <laughs> And the Sadducees didn't want any kind of insurrection look like it was coming up because that would have been the end of, John was saying last week, their nation and their place, their power, their privilege. The last thing these people wanted, these Sadducees, were any kind of uprising. And if you read the book of Acts, you don't see the Pharisees anymore. You see very little of them. It's always in clash with the Sadducees. They're the ruling party. The point of contact was a disagreement, a theological one, over the resurrection. This was the class. On this one point stood the future of Jerusalem. Before this, the main point under Jesus' teaching was this. Who do people say that I am? That was the main point of Jesus' teaching. Who are people saying that I am? And, And of course, Peter, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well said, Peter, that was not revealed to you by man, but that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It's a revelation that I am the Christ. I am the promised Messiah. 
I am the one spoken of by the prophets, me. But you need revelation from my father to understand that, Peter. But now something has changed. It's not just that. It's now his resurrection. Do you believe, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, in your hearts that God raised him from the dead? That God raised, yes, of course, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's revealed to us by the Father. But also that he has been raised from the dead. Since the day is late, these power moguls simply arrest them till there can be a full examination the following day. And to examine all their teachings. The examination starts in verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, they all gathered together in Jerusalem. When Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who are of the high priestly family. This is, go- this is going back 40, 50, 60 years of the high priesthood. They're all there. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, or by what name did you do this? Understand something. Court is now open. And you've got to see the picture. It's, it's a semicircle. And you've got the high priest in the front. Then you've got the other priests behind them. Then you've got the elders and the scribes and the lawyers are behind them. It's, a, it's an amphitheater. And it's rising up and it's seats. And it's starting small and it, and it gets bigger. And you've got a crowd up to at least 71 people. And thrown into the midst of these authorities is two fishermen. Their children, remember that. I, want, I don't want to underemphasize this. They were kids. They were 20, 21, 22 years old. That's all they were. That's all they were. They were uneducated. They didn't speak well. They weren't schooled. But here they are in front of all the authority, all the pomp of Jerusalem. It's an intimidating picture, isn't it? It really is. Could you imagine being drawn into the Supreme Court and just thrown in front of everybody? Just because you spoke in the name of Jesus? This is some lion's den. The apostles were thrown into the lion's den of their day. But understand that it's all biblical. According to Deuteronomy 13... This was the rule that the leaders of the nation of Israel were supposed to go through. They had to do an inquiry. Was the miracle performed truly in the name of Jehovah? And if they did not do it in the name of Jehovah and give the teachings of Moses, then you were to stone a person. So the inquiry over here is according to Deuteronomy law. It's according to Are you misguiding the people over here? Whose name are you teaching in now? And what's this teaching? Where are you getting this power? We know the notable sign has taken place. There's a a crippled man for 40 years who is now standing next to everybody. The whole temple is going crazy. People are worshiping God. They're praising God. They're overwhelmed by the power and the glory and the presence of God. But they want to make sure by whose power and whose name have you done this? They were correct in doing this. The answer they got, they were not expecting. They were not expecting 
this little feeble looking fisherman had no idea that when he opened up his mouth, his heart was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now going to advance the church in the midst of the lion's den. They thought they were shrinking violets. No, they were not shrinking violets. These men were the representatives of none less than the living, risen Jesus Christ. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he could have said, whom is Jehovah? Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. The first thing Peter does as he's filled with the Spirit of God is bring people back to the the blessing of the healed man, God's goodness. Because that's what they're standing there for. They're on trial for a good deed. Think about that. They're on trial for a good deed. Many non-believers try to divert from the main point. Have you ever seen this before? I remember sharing about a friend who came to know Christ. His life was not the nicest life before he came to Jesus. We had many friends, acquaintances. And this life was changed almost instantaneous. And as I was speaking to acquaintances about this party, that party who was a Christian now was not there, they kept on going back to the way he used to. I said, but can't you see the change? Oh, yeah, we see that. But if you knew, I said, why are you always going back to the way he used to? The miracle, the good and gracious miracle of God has taken place before you. But you're trying to divert from this. You're trying to go back to something else. This is what's going on. And Peter points to the healed man. And we'll get to this next week. No diversion over here. He tells them plainly in all uncertain terms that Jesus is God's servant. Though you killed him. Jesus Christ is God's servant. And though you killed him, God raised him from the dead. Whether you believe in the resurrection and your silly doctrine makes no difference to us. That's your problem, what Peter is telling them. Just because they did not want to hear about the resurrection. It was the very thing Peter spoke about. How many times preachers shy away from certain doctrines because... The political climate says, don't teach on those things. How many times preachers stay away from speaking about hell or sin or damnation or genuine holiness. Holiness from the heart. Preaching holiness. Preaching fidelity and honesty and sexual purity and dignity. Preachers stay away from that. Because it goes against the status quo. Peter doesn't back down. 
Though you killed him, God raised him from the dead. Whether you believe it or not, it makes no difference to me. This healed man is God's witness to you that Jesus himself is alive. The healed man is a testimony to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dead men cannot raise cripples. Listen to me. A dead man cannot save and heal a cripple. And a dead man can't change my life and he can't change your life. And if your life is changed and my life is changed, that's because Jesus Christ is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And he's not finished with you and he's not finished with me. Even though we still look like the old person, he's not finished with us. And when everybody says, but I remember the way you used to be, well, you can tell them, I'm not that way anymore. God doesn't see me that way. I'm a new creation. It's the God we serve. It is this unflinching courage in the midst of this religious, political, cultural lion's den where they were expecting these two little fisher boys to kowtow and wilt like a fading flower in the blazing sun. They stood up strong. They stood up bold. They didn't flinch. They looked straight ahead at the whole 72 of the Sahedrin and they looked at him and said, you crucified him. Now don't miss this. That's why Luke says first, he gives a disclaimer, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He stood there and said to all the people of power, you crucified him. Filled with the Holy Spirit is not some kind of personal experience for experience sake. We get the giggles. Or God gives me the coochie coochie coo. Or I just feel this sort of out of body experience with God. Listen, if you tell me you have that and you get up and you preach boldly and live boldly and holy, I'll say your experience is true. But if you say all that and you're not standing strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming Christ to all and living a a holy, godly life, I don't want to hear about that experience. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is for this and this reason alone in the book of Acts. And it is to share the testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a hostile world that doesn't want to hear it. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you don't know who's filled with the Holy Spirit until they speak. That's how you know. You know when someone's filled with the Spirit, not when they're talking about spiritual experiences, is when they're proclaiming Christ with passion, unflinchingness, unashamed, unapologetic, but proclaiming a life of holiness as they follow the resurrection of the one means of salvation, Jesus Christ. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's not miss this. When men or women filled with the Holy Spirit are examined, 
These men were thrown into the midst of the lion's den to be examined, to be inquired. But they didn't know that these men were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when men and women are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're examined by anybody, the examiners now become the examined. They were examined then. Little did they know that just in a shorter matter of time, they were going to be examined. Peter, standing like a prosecuting attorney before God, is calling them out with all boldness. And this is not just pure boldness. This is boldness brought about by spiritual truth. A spiritual reality of the resurrection. These are deep convictions. Peter now puts their sinful actions into a biblical framework. Listen, he explains it from the Bible. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. You were the leaders of Israel. You were the builders of Israel. And you rejected the stone of what you build on. But now God has made it become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which you must be saved. It might only be two verses of scripture to you and me, but understand something. Peter now turns from prosecuting attorney to a theologian. Remember that all the leading teachers of Israel are standing there, getting educated in their own scriptures by the fishermen. And he's quoting Psalm 18, of which every leader standing there understood the implications of Psalm 118. He succinctly sums up the whole rejection of Christ and his resurrections in these words. You rejected him. That's the crucifixion. You rejected the stone. But this stone rejected by the Hebrew nation has now been raised to be a cornerstone to the rest of the world, the church. The birth of the church, where Jew and Gentile come together and are a new creation in Christ. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither circumcision, uncircumcision, free or slave, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat, child or elder, we're all a new creation in Jesus Christ. This is the cornerstone. Filled with the Spirit of God is not just courage, it's not just boldness to say something, it's not just being bold to disagree with someone. No, Peter is not just disagreeing. Being filled is being filled with understanding. It's being filled with knowledge. being filled with the mystery of God's gospel. These aren't just words of disagreement. My God's better than your God. He's not saying that. This is something else. This is a truth boldly proclaimed from the scriptures, the scriptures themselves. This is not my God is better than your God. My God is the God of the Old Testament. And not just that. Being filled with the Spirit is also evangelistic. He's unashamedly evangelistic. He says there, 
is no other name under heaven which men can be saved. Tell that to all your friends and family. Tell that to all your co-workers. Tell that to the religious establishment. Tell that that there's no hope but in Jesus Christ. The leading teachers, everyone there in Israel, they knew exactly what Peter was saying. Psalm 118 is a psalm of national salvation. Read it when you go home. National salvation. Personified in King David. But it means national salvation. They didn't understand personal salvation. It is personal salvation. But you got to remember, the Jew thought nationalistic community understanding. That was their whole framework. It wasn't just, it was the whole nation, all the children of Israel, all the children of Abraham. Jews always thought in nationalistic terms, not individualistic. And what Peter is saying, it's over. Jesus Christ is the only true servant of God. He's the true Jew. He's the true Israelite. He's the author of life. You crucified him. There's no hope for the nation. That's like me and you telling everybody, there's no hope for the whole world. I've got no problem telling that to anybody. There is no hope for the world except in Jesus Christ. That is it. That's it. You can take everything you want. Take your political answers. Take all your religions. There is a way that seems right to man, the Bible says. But in the end, it leads to death. God's not concerned with good intentions. He's not concerned with really strong and rigorous religious devotion that has no change of heart. Salvation, Peter was saying, for our nation and for ourselves is found nowhere else. It's not found in Moses. It's not found in this temple. It's not found in this puppet court. It's not found in you, Anastasia, the high priest and your whole priestly line. It's all over. Jesus Christ is the true high priest. This is bold. Bold. This is not a scathing letter. Letter. They're standing right before them. Their mouths must have dropped when they began to speak filled with the Spirit of God and understanding of the Scriptures. What a combination. Filled with the Spirit of God and a genuine understanding of biblical revelation. Can you imagine there are people today, there are preachers today, there are teachers today, there are Bibles, uh, uh, churches today that you go, they don't even offer to teach you the Bible. How do you not offer to teach the Bible? How do you not encourage study to show yourself approved? How do you not show them Jesus in the Old Testament? How do you not show the sheep of God, the word of God? Boldness is not just opening up our mouth. It's opening up our mouth in an intelligent, educated way. Deep convictions. Salvation is nowhere else. Peter knew the plight of the nation and he warned the leaders of their great responsibility. They knew what he was saying. Our nation's in peril and it's our fault. We'll move to some application.
I will share in the future what's going on in the political system on the attack of Christianity. I was going to do it today. I chose not to. I want to deal with it in a more personal way. You and I will probably right now, maybe I would because I preach, but maybe as ordinary Christians, we're never going to find ourselves in the court of law for our Christian beliefs. It could happen. It's happening right now. I'm not going to give examples. Trust me, ordinary people, bakers, uh, clergy who won't marry uh, uh, gay and lesbian men and women, uh, being brought before the court of law, uh, bakers that won't bake their wedding cakes, photographers who won't go to a gay wedding, and they're all being brought before a court of law, and they're actually losing their businesses because no one's going to go use them anymore. But anyway, besides that, that could happen. It's happening right now. Though we're never going to be dragged before the authorities, understand something. If you don't realize it, we're always brought before the lion's den of public opinion. That great court. Public opinion. People love to share their grievances against Christianity. Family members, work, Schools are a hostile place. College campus today is a hostile place for the Christian message. They are so far liberal left that they want nothing to do because just like the Sadducees didn't want to hear anything about the resurrection, college campus today wants to hear nothing about Jesus Christ. Some of our family members don't want to hear anything about the, the Our family members could be the worst court of a public opinion because, you know, they say they believe. The Sadducees said they believed. They just didn't believe in anything. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. How many of our family members, they go to church, they say they believe in God, but, but they don't believe in anything the Bible says. They disagree with everything. But yet... They go to church and they're religious. And then when you really share your faith and you share your values and you share your beliefs, we find ourselves without realizing that, that we're being examined. They're, they're questioning my faith. They're, how dare you believe in hell? Huh? What do you mean Jesus is the only one? You're telling me everybody's going to hell? Yeah. There's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's no hope. And the only hope you're going to have is if your son, I told this to my mother, you hear it from me. We get attacked by superficial thinkers that think they know everything. It's a mixture of religion, but what's politically correct, along with what's culturally correct, and sort of like the tradition of our family. And it all comes together in this sort of happy nothingness. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's just like, it's this false philosophy with the Jesus hat on top of it. That's all it is. But when you generally get converted and you're saved and you're filled with the Spirit and you defend God, then they all come out and attack us. But we're not to back down and lovingly, just like Peter, we bring him to the error of their ways. We make sure unequivocally there is no salvation outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We showed them from the scriptures. Peter did it from Psalm 118. 
we go to the scriptures. That's where it's found. And we take there the fullness of the spirit. We take there our Christian education. We take there our love for their lives and the love for our nation. And we pray for them and we bring them the truth. And no matter how much they disagree with us, we stay in there and we lovingly and lovingly persuade them the best we can as we're filled with the spirit of God. To understand who Jesus Christ really is. And how are we to be filled with the Spirit of God? In the book of Acts, let me tell you something. It is a supernatural experience. Not going to hide that. In the book of Acts, at the end of this chapter, guess what they did? Because of this arrest, they got together, prayed, and guess what? The place they were at was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit of God. And they spoke the word with boldness. Is that, do we need that? Do we, need the, do we need the foundations of Salvation Army to shake? That would be nice. I'm going to tell you right now. Make my job easy. But on a whole, let me explain something. When you are born again, you are given the fullness of the Spirit of God. I'll tell you that right now. You're generally born again. God has given you the fullness of the Spirit. Now what he wants you to do is grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have a supernatural experience, praise God. And I mean that with all my heart. But often it's the product of continued daily worship of God and Christian education that we develop deep convictions. Are you with me? Deep convictions. And the day comes we can say like Martin Luther, my conscience is captive by the word of God. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what my family says. I love them. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care what a lukewarm church says or tries to dismiss. My mind is captive by the word of God. I can't move left. I can't move right. My conscience will not allow me. Luther says it's neither right or safe. It's not safe. God help. It's interesting here with one last application. If you look at Peter's preaching to the common people in the temple, after he preaches, he says, therefore, repent. He didn't call the leaders to repent. He preached, and he never called them to repent. That's interesting. What a time to say there and say there, Therefore, repent and be baptized. And let times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's what he just said in the temple a day before. That's what he told all the common people. But here he didn't say that. All he gave them was Psalm 118. Peter knew they rejected Christ. Just like John taught last week at the raising of Lazarus, it was over. The leaders rejected Christ. It wasn't that it wasn't a true offer of salvation. They knew what they had to do. There comes a time in Christianity, Paul tells us that we need to become a Jew to a Jew and a Greek to a Greek and become all things to all men so that some can be saved. We do everything we can to have peace with people. We get slapped on one side, we walk the extra mile, we give our enemy water, we give just so they can hear the message. But the time comes where Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. There comes a time when all we are called to do is defend the truth without seeking any salvation. Just be a defender of the truth. That's it. 
Father, we thank you. We bless you. We thank you for your word, God. Uh, whether it's right in the sight of man to not obey you, that's up to them, God. But we can only share and testify to what we have seen and what we have heard. God, we thank you for your goodness to our life, God. And we pray for all the people around us who are still in disagreement with Jesus Christ and with true religion and with what the Bible teaches, God. And we just pray that you just continue to move upon their heart, Father God. Open up their eyes to understand their need to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.